five. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks again. Um, the fruit of the spirit. Right. Well, it's we're almost finished. We should have well at least with this part. The fruit of the spirit. We should have one more message. And the way the the way it broke down for me anyway in preparing the messages, there are nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit, and we took one Sunday night for to introduce it and then talk about love. And so it's kind of interesting that the other the other four groupings each kind of fit together. You have joy and peace, you have long suffering and gentleness, and tonight there's goodness and faith. And it's neat how they each of those they make pretty good pairs or apples or whatever. No fruit, pretty good pairs in there. So let's look at the verse again. Hopefully everybody knows it already and will certainly know it by heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. All right, let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we are very thankful tonight for thy goodness to us. We thank thee for the person and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, although it's, it's true we cannot feel him, we don't, we, we're not aware of his presence physically within our body, and yet we, under, we need to realize, be reminded that without him, without the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, we'd be able to do nothing. Jesus said that to his disciples, and we understand that Christ dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So guide us tonight as we look at two more important parts of that fruit and pray that thou, Lord, would, would continue to cultivate that in each of our lives. And so help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So our couplet tonight, if you will, is goodness and faith, goodness and faith. Obviously, the word good can, or goodness, we can think of a lot of, there's a lot of definitions for that, but this particular word for goodness is a specific word, and in fact, it's a word that comes from the root agathos, where we get, or agathos, which is the root word for holiness, okay? So here, therefore, the word, and it's the word agathosni, which means goodness in character, moral purity, and beneficial in effect. And so it's not, you know, it, gentleness is the idea of kindness and helpfulness, and goodness is the idea of uprightness, character, purity, that sort of thing. Um, God, good, good, goodness, rather, um, in character. And so we need to think about that when you think about the fruit of the Spirit. Part of it being goodness, it's the idea of being morally excellent and pure. And so something that the Spirit of God uh, produces in us as we yield to Him, probably of all, the, of all the parts of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness here stands in the most obvious contrast to verses 19 to 21. The the works of the flesh are anything but good. You know, they're they're bad. They're you know they're worthless and they're evil and all those kinds of things. And so goodness stands in in stark um, opposite of those of those things of the flesh. And 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 were it not for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
verses 19 to 21 would characterize us. In fact, it did characterize us, maybe not all of these, but certainly this characterized our life before we came to Christ as Savior. So one of the reasons that Christ saved us was so he, through the Holy Spirit, could manifest these great changes in our lives and these great character traits, which really um, goes along with Paul's in first in Colossians 1 where he talks about the mystery which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the fruit of the Spirit is another way of saying this is what Christ in you looks like. This is how it, how it fleshes out, um, if you will, and, and fills out. So tonight, a couple things by way of application for goodness. Uh, we're going to take a look a little bit at God's goodness. Uh, Matthew 19, in, in all of these verses... Um, we'll talk about God or some aspect of God, his word, and it's using that same word for good or goodness of uh, moral, moral, um, pure, moral purity and excellence. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 19. <coughs> Matthew chapter 19 and... We have the account of the, the rich young ruler who came to Christ. Matthew 19, 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is one, or there is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So those, those, that verse 19 in particular, both the words translated good, is our word for morally pure, upright, excellent. And quite a, as he answered, as this young man asked Jesus a question, uh, the Lord answered him with a question, which by the way was, a, was a, one of the common ways of conversation and discussion in those days. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, my parents would tell me, don't answer a question with a question. You might have told that to your kids too, or maybe you told it to your husband or wife. <laughs> but in those days, it was perfectly natural, perfectly normal. It was, a, it was a give and take kind of thing. And if you read through, you know, one of the interesting things, if when you read through the life of Christ, you'll find many times that somebody asked him a question, he would answer with a question, or he would ask a question, they would answer with a question. So it was a common thing. And so the Lord, in asking this question, a lot of people today should answer the same question. Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? As he's challenging this young man, why are you saying good? This young man really knew nothing about the Lord, Good master was kind of a term of respect or whatever, or trying to get in good. And here's what the Lord said. There is none good but one, that is God. I've had discussions over the past, or in the past, with Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, and they will use this verse to try to say that Jesus never claimed to be God. But is that right? Or was he claiming to be God? Right here in this verse. Is there anyone good except God? What is, you know, Romans, I think, do I have it down here for tonight? Um, uh, no, but Romans, in Romans um, 
chapter 3 says, there is none good, no, not one. And that's talking about the human race. So there are no good people. And I try to, some people just asked the other day, or a while back, I was talking to a young man. He says, I have a question, Pastor Myers. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I know who he was talking about. He was talking about his grandmother. And so I said, well... According to the Bible, there are no good people. And that kind of threw him off. And I said, let me explain, let me explain. So I told him about sin and how everybody, all, all of sin comes to the glory of God. And so as God looks upon the human race, there's none good. By the way, those verses, it's interesting, those verses in Romans, are in Romans 3, are, are quoted from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. So that was the universal truth ever since man fell. All right, none good, no, not one. So, there's none good but one, that is God. So do you see here that Christ is actually claiming to be God? Because Jesus Christ himself, he was either God or he wasn't a good man. And that's the point that he's making. And then he goes on to talk to him about the commandments and things. And the man was deceived into thinking that he had kept them. And he had, he had broken number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he broke the last one, thou shalt not covet, which means he, had, he, he broke all the ones in between. But God is God's goodness. There's none, there's none good but one, that is God. There's only, he's the only being, he's the only person in the, in the universe who is good by nature. Right? So for us to be good takes a miracle, a working of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. And take a look at a verse there. So Romans 7 verse 12 says, Wherefore the law, and of course that's referring to the, to the Mosaic law, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Right? So the command, the problem is not with the law, the problem is with us, not being able to keep the law. God knew that, and that's why he gave it. So people would understand that they couldn't keep it. That's one of the reasons he gave it. All right. So the law is good. All right. Now Philippians chapter one, talking about God's goodness and the ways, different ways that we see it or it is applied. How about this one? Philippians chapter one, verse six. Being confident of this very thing that he, of course that's God, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the same word for good. So what kind of work is God doing in us? He's doing a morally excellent work. He's working in us to be holy, like he is holy, but the work itself is good and proper. So everything God does is good and upright and excellent and he will do it in us till the day of Jesus Christ, until the Lord comes. Okay, that's enough on that one. Second Timothy chapter 3. And here we find scripture, the passage that one of the, one of the famous passages for the inspiration of the scripture 
Tim or Paul's reminding Timothy of what that he needs to stick with what he's been raised on. Boy, how do we how how do our young people people of all ages sure need to hear that today? A lot of young people, a lot of older people now, but when they're young people, they were raised on the scriptures, but they walked away. But Paul says to Timothy in verse fourteen, "But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of." knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and it started off with his grandmother and mother, and then, of course, Paul came along, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, by the way, that is a, that's a great thing. If you, were, if you were privileged, like I was for some of my childhood anyway, to be taught the word of God from childhood... That's a tremendous privilege and a great, a wonderful thing to be thankful for. Now, some didn't, but thank God you came to know the Lord. Now, they're able to make thee wise through, unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, con- for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, that the man of God may be perfect, that is, complete, mature, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And that's that same word. The excellent work. The morally pure work. Alright? So it's the idea of, of righteous works that we are to, to, we are to perform and maintain uh, by the grace of God. And then one more for the goodness of God. 1 Thessalonians. We'll go back a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Might be in the wrong, it might be in. Yes, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Sorry about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 11 and 12. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. The same idea, same Greek words there, that morally upright, excellent, the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we glorify God, he glorifies us, and ultimately that will take place in heaven, but still down here. You know, it talks about in the Old Testament when Joshua took over for Moses, the Bible says that day began the Lord to magnify Joshua in the sight of Israel. And they feared him as they feared Moses all his days. And so, but the good pleasure of his goodness is that's what he wants to fulfill in us. And one of the one of the meanings of the Bible word fulfill is to fill up. And so God would fulfill by filling us with his goodness. All right. And that's what we ought to be. All right. So that's a little bit about God's goodness and how it influences us. Well, let's take a look at, at what the Bible says about our goodness. All right. Um, Back in the book of Luke, chapter 6. Let's go back there. 
right, Luke chapter 6. This is what Jesus had to say, and in these in these three verses, um, there are the, the the word good is used several times, and again it's always that same word for moral purity. Verse forty three: For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. I mean, if there's an old picker bush down the, out in the field there, if it's the right kind, it might have blackberries, but you're not going to find grapes. An old thorn bush, and so on. A good man, verse 45, out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Now, again, in the, in the context of, of Scripture, a good man here is a man who has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, a godly man, one who's saved, and one whose life is characterized by this goodness, this excellent, this moral character, okay? And so what comes out is because of what's inside. Again, that's the, the whole thing when we started this series of messages months ago on the verse in Proverbs, um, keep thy heart with all diligence, your heart, your inner, inner being, for out of it are the issues. In other words, what issues forth in our life, what's manifest on the outside comes from the inside. Jesus said that here. This is another way of saying it. A good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree doesn't bring, bring forth good fruit. All right, let's go to Acts 11. Acts chapter 11. <coughs> and uh, so, as you go through these scriptures... The goodness that is talked about here again is not, it's not so much what, what a person does, good works, that's a whole other subject, another word, but here it's about a, the person's character, right, and, and moral excellence. And so there's a man like that in Acts 11. Let's go there, read a couple verses here. And talking about, it says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now this is when the gospel began to be preached, spoken to Gentiles. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the churches which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. By the way, that word glad is one of the translations of the word for joy in, in Galatians 5. And so when, when Barnabas came to Antioch and saw what was going on there, he was glad. He was joyful because of what the Lord was doing. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, cling to the Lord. For he, Barnabas, he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people was added to the Lord. There's both of our words tonight, good and faith, of goodness and faith. So this is Barnabas. 
when we lived in Lynn, we used, I used to take walks along the road, and uh, at one point, I, w I walked into the Lynn Cemetery, and I just happened to look around, and I'd like to read the old tombstones, they had messages on them, and there was an old pastor who, who was buried there, his name was Spencer, last name, and this verse, 24, was engraved on his tombstone. I said, man, what, that, what a guy, I wish I would have known a little more about him. And it said on his tombstone, for he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. And so that's why Barnabas was able, was so, so well used of God, and why he was such, why he was kind of a magnet, he drew people to him because of his goodness of character and his desire to help. Um, Romans, let's go back to book of Romans again. Romans 7.19, this is kind of looking at it from the other aspect, from the negative side, if you will. Paul, talking about the own battle, the, own, the, the struggle with his own life, he, he wrote about it in Galatians 5 as well, about the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. So he says here in Romans 7.19, For the good that I would, in other words, the good that I want to do, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now Paul had that struggle inside, and, and we know that Paul was a good man as well, like Barnabas. And yet there was that conflict. And here the good is just that, that moral excellence, moral purity, what, that he wanted to, his life to produce. Romans 15, 14. <clears throat> and here is another, uh, another way, another instance, example, where Paul commended the church at Rome, the, the believers there. And I know that you don't you know this, but please don't ever don't ever confuse this, the church in Rome with the Roman Catholic Church. It's not, it's not the same, all right? Peter was not the first pope and all this nonsense that they talk about today. It's talking about a totally different church. If anything, it was the Baptist church at Rome, because they were definitely Baptist in doctrine. But anyway, um, here's what he says about them. What a tremendous um, thing. He says, and I myself, uh, Romans 15, 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another, that is to exhort one another. And in the word of God is what he's talking about there. And interesting, up until... The end of, near the end of Paul's life, he, he never got to Rome. So what he heard from the Romans was all reported by others. It's, but, it, but it's interesting, in Romans 1, Paul said their faith was spoken of throughout the world. So they were known. All right, again, not, not like, not, the Roman Catholic Church is known throughout the world too, but not for the same reason. So anyway, they were full of goodness. They had that quality. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar passage regarding salvation. <clears throat> chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 through 10. I'm not going to ask us to do this necessarily, but how many of us could close our Bibles and say this by heart? Right? For by grace are you saved. I'm going to try. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In other words, for the purpose of good works, that's what he put, um, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Same word good. Morally pure. Alright? So it's talking about works of godliness and character. Which, of course, if we have that character, we're going to do other things too. We're going to help and reach out all that kind of thing. But the emphasis here is on that which is good and righteous and pure and holy. That's the, the idea of that word. All right, one more for this. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And this, is a, this is another tremendous... This is actually... a quoted in the, in the or quote from uh, the book of Proverbs and also Psalms. Verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days. Interesting, isn't it? The word good. Same word. He that, he that will love life and see good days. And the word good there, morally pure, upright, holy, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Now, evil is the idea of, of you know, wishing evil, evil speaking, cursing, you know, that sort of thing, maliciousness. His lips that they speak no guile, that is no hypocrisy. Let him eschew evil and do good, same word. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are, are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Same word, that which is upright, moral, who will hurt you? Obviously, only scoundrels will hurt you, <laughs> is the idea there. So that's goodness. The next one is faith. Let's just take a look at that. Faith. The word translated faith here in Galatians 5.22, you know, goodness Faith is the word pistis, meaning faith, faithfulness, belief, trust, implying that actions based on that trust will follow. So it's, it's, it's believing, but it's faithfulness also that leads to actions that go along with that. Okay. Now we've got a couple here. And um, let's take a look at Mark 11. We're going to go right to how it applies or how the Word of God applies it to us. Now, um, <clears throat> there is, I guess we can kind of categorize faith in two different aspects. Obviously, there's saving faith, and Paul's really not talking about that in Galatians because he's writing to people who already exercise saving faith, and so there is a living faith, a faith to live by, is the idea there. As believers, and, and that's a work that is a that is a product of the Holy Spirit uh, working in us. Okay, so in Mark 11, we have the the account of the Lord Jesus, and um, starting in verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12, and on the morrow when they they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. 
And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, the next day they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Alright, so what is the Lord saying? We can just walk down the street and say, oh, that, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I could just cast that mountain? There's another place where he said, let a tree plucked up by the roots and be cast into the sea. What is he saying? He's saying that if that is a need in our life, in our service for the Lord, and we pray and believe, God will do it. God will remove obstacles. He'll do whatever through us, whatever needs to be done to further the cause of Christ. So again, he's not just saying that we can go, we can go around showing off, and that's, that's not the point at all. But he just simply said he was giving them an, 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 an object lesson about the fig tree. Okay? And so, but we must, we must pray, we must have faith, and pray in faith, ask in faith, and believe, all right, that God will do whatever needs to be done, all right? Let's go to Romans chapter 1. We could, we could probably spend more time here, but let's move along. Again, back to the book of Romans. Actually, a verse that I alluded to just a few minutes ago. Romans 1 and verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Their faith and their faithfulness is the idea there. Their trust in God and, and, and his word and, and all those things. All right, so um, Mark is an illustration and an exhortation. Romans is a commendation. And then uh, 2 Corinthians is a trust. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. For we know, that's great, we have that confidence, we have that assurance, we know beyond a doubt that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that is our earthly bodies, talking about death, physical death, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So we have some, there's a body there. We're going to inhabit a body even before our glorified body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Right? If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. So Paul says it's natural, it's normal, it's right for a Christian to desire that home from heaven. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. 
I'm not sure how many are, if we're there. Being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In some instances, our society, even maybe some saved people, have we've, we've kind of sunk to the point that we, when we hear somebody talk about longing to go to heaven, we think something's wrong with them. I never forget this lady at the nursing home. I've mentioned her before, Florence. Very faithful to the Bible study. Knew the Lord. Loved the Lord. And she would got, first of all, I think when she first started coming, she was in a wheelchair. And so I, I'd help her, or one of the workers would help her. And then it got to the point where she was kind of in one of those, like a reclining chair, like a hospital chair. So we pushed her to the, the Bible study. She continued to decline, decline, until finally she couldn't even get out of bed. And so she just laid just flat on her back all the time. But she had been such a blessing. But, when, but let me back up a second. But when I would take her back to her room, she always wanted to pray for me and for different loved ones. And so we would do that. Well, then I would always stop in because even though she was flat on her back, she wanted to see me and she wanted to pray. And she kept saying, I'm just, I don't know why the Lord has kept me here, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for as many people as I can think of, and, and she said, I'm just waiting for the Lord to take me, and, and everything like that, and, and one day one of the workers came and said, hey, you, could you go talk to Florence, we, we, we don't understand, she's given up, she just also talks about is going home to heaven, and so I went and talked to her, and I, I tried to explain to the young lady working there that she wasn't depressed, you know, she wasn't suicidal, she wasn't any of those things. She was just waiting for God to call out, but the person didn't have a clue. She had no idea what I was talking about. And that's sad because, you know, she obviously probably was not a believer in the Lord, all right? But the, we have a, the Christian has a different philosophy about that. Now he that hath, verse 5, now he that hath wrought us for, or in other words, worked in us for this very same thing, the self-same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, that is the down payment, the guarantee. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Okay, we're down here, he's up there. I mean, we know he's everywhere, but the idea there, Paul's saying, you know, Christ is at the right hand of God, we're down here, so we're separated, we're absent. Um, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's a challenge. And I admit it, all right? I, I admit it. It's a challenge to live by faith. It's, sometimes don't you wish you could just see, you know, that God would just tell you? All right. Well, he has. He's right here, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. All right? That should be, that's it. So that's, we walk by faith. So that's our trust. Trusting in God. What we can't see. Peter put it this way. Whom having not seen, we love. Right? Even though we've never seen Jesus with our physical eyes. And we won't till he comes for us or till we go there by death. All right, let's go to First Thessalonians. Just got a couple more. First Thessalonians. Let's talk about work. First Thessalonians, chapter number one. No, chapter yes, number one. I think I got it right this time. First Thessalonians, chapter one. <clears throat> Verse. 
verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And now it's interesting that when Paul thanks a congregation, he always has specifics. The Philippians is we thank God for your for your fellowship in the gospel. Romans, we thank God because your faith is spoken of throughout through the whole world. Here we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of your you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Alright, as they worked for the Lord, they tr- they were trusting that their work was important beneficial and that it would have results. Your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. They were chosen of God to do this work. But the work of faith, so when we work or attempt to work for God, we should do do so by faith. And Paul said, he that soweth should sow in hope there in 1 Corinthians. And so hopefulness, hope. A lot of times when things don't happen, we, we, we tend to lose hope. But got to keep on, keep on, keep on, keeping on for the Lord and trusting that he will give increase. All right. And then number five, James chapter one, stability, the stability of faith. James chapter one. And we'll start in verse 1. We'll read a few verses in James chapter 1. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So James wrote, first of all, to the Jewish believers scattered because of persecution. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So we're talking about faith here. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Alright, so any of you lack wisdom. Do we ever lack wisdom? Do you? Do I? Yes, absolutely. Ask of God. But, Verse 6, notice, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so the stability of faith, ask in faith, right? Nothing wavering, never, not doubting that God is able, all right? And that God will. All right. Then there's the reward of faith in Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Precious passage of scripture here that, um, as we think about, we read about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And Paul referred to Timothy as my own son in the faith. And obviously mentored him and so on. And so Paul says, it writes there in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered. That's the idea of being of poured out. He was about to be martyred. And the time of my departure 
is at hand. He's going to go home. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that's the same word for belief and trust and so on. But the faith is that which was delivered to the, Christ, to the, the New Testament body of truth. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. All right. In closing, let's take a look just over page 2 Timothy 3. Before we, before I read a verse, um, let me just say this. God, through his Holy Spirit, works to produce and increase goodness and faith within us. And so there are examples. Think about the, the, the li- many different examples, but think about the life of J- Abraham, how, he, how God worked in him and, and moved him, developed him into a man of great faith. He wasn't always like that. And then God took a deceiver like Jacob and molded him into a man of faith. And so that's why I said God works through, God through the Holy Spirit works to produce and increase goodness and faith within us so that they may manifest themselves by good character, good works, and works of faith. All right, look at 2 Timothy 3. It just says, talking about the perilous times that we're, that we're in, it talks men will be all these things. But notice in verse 3, it says that the ungodly will be without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Right? So we must realize that we are living in a day when many are despisers of those that are good. Just the other day, um, I think Jan pointed out to me, or I might have seen it too, so on my Facebook, you know, somebody was just was railing against Bible believers. And it, these people that are always quoting Bible verses, and I know what they meant because there's been a lot of debate lately on Facebook about abortion and transgenderism and all the stuff that we know the Bible calls evil. People defending that lifestyle and getting angry at Bible verses and accusing us, you know, of having no love and hate, we're all hate, and all those kinds of things. Well, that's exactly what Paul said would happen. And many people today are despisers of good. Now, why did I say that? Well, because we need to be aware of that fact, be prepared for it, and still live lives of goodness and faith. And don't be scared, don't be deterred by those who want to, you know, who will mock us and despise. I don't know if we've ever lived in a time, at least in America, where good, you know, moral purity, uprightness, godliness, has been more despised by many, certainly by the media, the mainstream media despises everything good, um, and so on. Well, we need to be aware of that, be prepared for it, live lives of goodness and faith. And of course, part of it has to do with our, our attitude, our heart toward people. We must, you know, we can't be antagonistic and obnoxious and nasty and all those kinds of things, but yet speak the truth in love, as Paul said. And so, God help us to be good in the Bible sense and to have faith, live by faith, walk by faith. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the time we can be here tonight. Thank thee for thy precious word. 
for the truth of it, the power of it, and help us, Father, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to live the life of Christ in and through us, that we might be that example to believers and be that testimony to those outside the fold. And we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. And um, 320. 320. Whatever the Bible tells us about the Christian life, obviously we realize it's really it's the life of Jesus that he wants to live in us and through us. And so the hymn writer wrote, Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Let's stand, please. 320. And let's sing all three verses. Serve my 
Jesus to my traveling days on earth are through. Man, Heavenly Father, we pray that thou would help us to not only desire to be like Jesus, to, but to actually be like him, Lord. We know that if we do that, that thou will bless us, our lives will be what thou would have them to be. So please watch over us tonight as we go to our homes, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.